Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about how we can teach our kids with anxiety or OCD, or kids in general, to be honest, to advocate for themselves. Being your own advocate is a huge life skill, and it's one that our kids especially really need to learn. And they can learn this at a very young age if we put out those breadcrumbs and kind of guide our kids. So my hope for today is that by the end of this podcast, you're going to have a really good idea of the skills that you're trying to build in your children on how they can find their own voice and advocate and how to do that. Because sometimes we know it's a good thing, but where do we start, right? So before we dive in though, I do want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy They are available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S., and you can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I will leave a link in the show notes. Okay, so let's talk about this. I'm going to first talk about why it's important. I know that it seems obvious, but I kind of want to spell some things out, and then we're going to talk about how to be an advocate for yourself in multiple areas. I'm going to go through different areas that are that are really important. And then after the break, we're going to talk about the ingredients for self-advocacy. And I'm going to walk you through how we build those ingredients. So a lot to cover in this episode. Let's start off with why it's important besides the obvious. The, the first thing is we're not always with our kids. And so even if you feel like you are so good at advocating for them, you're not always with them. And a lot of times our kids feel uncomfortable advocating for themselves, depending on their anxiety or OCD theme or their personality style. It just makes it, it can make them feel awkward. Sometimes we have a parenting style that is very protective, where we swoop in and we've got it covered, right? Does this resonate with some of you? Where you're just like, mama bear or papa bear. And you're like, I will go to bat for my kid. I will advocate for them. And you do that way before your child is even recognizing that they need someone to advocate for them because you're smoothing the road before they hit any bumps. And I get that is a really nice thing to do. And we all want our kids to ride a smooth road. But part of this journey is teaching our kids to ride on a bumpy road. And part of it is letting go of the wheel and sitting in the passenger seat. And I know I say this a lot, but it's sitting in the passenger seat and saying, I'm going to guide you but you're the one steering. You're the one pressing the pedal. And it's the same for advocacy that ultimately the goal is to give them the tools and skills for them to do it themselves. The same thing with anxiety and OCD skills. We want our kids to be able to be independent from us and our guidance. That's the long-term goal so that they can do it for themselves. We're not always with them. They go to school, they're going to go to work, they're going to go to life, and they're not always going to have their mom or dad sitting in the corner going to bat for them. And it gets awkward the older they get. I have worked with parents who are advocating for kids that are past college, you know, and they're calling the boss at the at work and they're advocating. And it gets, it can get to the point where it's, 
it's um it's crossing a boundary, you know, where the employer will be like, uh, why is your mom calling me? <laughs> you know, and I get from the parent perspective that they don't know the history of our kids and we're just trying to do what's best for our kids, but um it it can almost disempower them at that point. So number one, we're not always with them. Two, right, us that could be disempowering, but the reverse is true when we teach our kids to advocate for themselves. It can be empowering to be able to have a voice, to be able to say, I am okay even when I'm not with you because I know I have my own back is very empowering. We can inadvertently disempower our kids by not giving them an opportunity to advocate for themselves. And I'm not saying throw them in the deep end and hope that they swim. You know, after the break, when we go into how to build these skills, we're gonna you're gonna see that I'm talking about building these skills systematically, slowly over time. But it conveys the message that you've got this. It conveys the message that you have a voice, that you have power, that you are important, and that you can do this for yourself. And it teaches them to think of themselves. It teaches them to not get sucked into their environment and what everybody else is doing and people-pleasing and making sure that that person or that situation or those people are happy. It makes them also think about themselves. What are their needs? What would make them happy? What would make them successful? What's missing that's not here? And so teaching them from a young age to think of their own needs is teaching them self-love, is teaching them self-compassion, is teaching them to be self-reflective. And those are beautiful skills too. The last thing is it's long-term skill, right? If I can learn in childhood how to advocate for myself, then I am going to just be an incredible vocal support to myself. I'm going to be advocating for my needs like it's a habit, like it's a natural thing. And that that is really our goal is long-term we have developed kids that can advocate for themselves. And we might have to walk them through even in adulthood. Certainly, I feel like with my daughter who's 19, who's in her second year of college, I feel like I still teach her to advocate for herself. She'll call me and she'll talk about a situation, you know, with friends, roommates, or professors, or, you know, something in her life. And I sometimes will take, you know, the devil's advocate and just be kind of like, well, you know, I don't know if you should have to handle that, or I don't know if you should have to deal with that. And sometimes it's the reverse. It's like, yeah, that's life, you know, and unfortunately that's going to, you're going to find that, you know, and so guiding our kids on where to navigate, advocate and where not to can be a lifelong relationship with our kids, but they have the ability to do it for themselves. And that's important. Okay. So let's talk about what areas we can help our kids advocate in. And as I'm going through this, after the break, I'm going to be talking about how to build these skills, but I want you to realize that this can happen at any age. And so we can have toddlers and preschoolers learning how to advocate for themselves. And when I'm moving into examples in the second half of this episode, I'm going to talk to you and give you different examples of even very, very young children that we can set them up for success in advocating for themselves, or we can kind of shut them down, you know, and just think that it's developmentally inappropriate and they're not ready. And that would be a mistake because these are lifelong skills that we can start to plant and water and nurture from very young. Also, it's never too late. And so if you are listening and you have a teenager or a young adult and you're thinking, oh man, Natasha, everything you're talking about, or I will be talking about, I don't do, I didn't do. And now I see that she can't advocate for herself. Like she's still so dependent on me. It's never too late, right? There's always 
there's always room for growth. I think no matter what, no matter how old somebody is, I am in my 50s now, believe it or not, and I feel like I'm still growing. Every day, people help me grow. I am growing within myself, and so growth never ends. That's just part of life, and that's beautiful, right, if we look at it that way. So our kids are always growing, and there's always wiggle room to teach our kids how to do these things, no matter how old they are, regardless of whether they're an adult or they're two. (laughs) So here are the main areas I thought about when I was thinking about advocating, and we'll talk about what that means even. Let's start on a very small scale in our family. How often do our kids advocate for themselves in the family dynamic? Um, Here are some examples. You know, she took my toy, or he hit me, or he's being rude to me. Do we swoop in and we solve that problem for our kids, or do we slowly back up and we teach them skills on how to handle that themselves? Do they maybe don't want to tell, you know, Aunt Betty about their anxiety or OCD, and how do they advocate for themselves? Or maybe their mom or their dad is too harsh with them around their anxiety or OCD, and they need to advocate for themselves and educate that person on why they're doing this or why they're having a hard time. So family could be all sorts of things, but there are a lot of times where we want our kids to find their own voice in those dynamics. And I'm going to go through and give you examples when we get into the nitty gritty, but this is just kind of a broad stroke of, oh yeah, you know, there's advocating even in the family unit, right? Advocating for what I need. And how do I advocate in a way that will get a response and get a positive response. I have seen this with my kids lately, and not always for sure, but my daughter will say, can you please turn that down, right? I'm trying to work here. Would you mind just lowering that? Where in the past, she has found that her screaming at her brother and saying, stop being selfish and lower that. Put your AirPods on. I can't stand it. Didn't get her the results that she wanted. (laughs) And so she's learning when I speak kindly to him, More often than not, depending on his mood, he's more likely to do it. And if he's not likely to do it, then I can go to my mom and I can say, mom, I've asked him calmly and nicely for him to lower his iPad and he's still not doing it. And she knows at that point, I will take action because she has approached it and she's done all that she could and she's reached her limit because he's still not listening. And then that's a parent issue, right? But she advocated for herself initially. So that's just a a brief example. Next area is school, right? Most of us think about advocacy and we think of the school environment. And to be honest, when this topic was given to me by a member of the AT Parenting community, my membership community, and I asked, periodically I'll ask the AT Parenting community to give me topic ideas. That's one of the kind of perks of the AT Parenting community is we are a tight-knit group where they get to decide what I talk about on this podcast and even on my YouTube channel. And when a parent suggested this as a podcast topic, I immediately thought about school. I didn't really think about anything else. But then I always brainstorm for these episodes and I thought, wait a minute, there's so much more than just school. But school is a category. So with school, it's how do I how do I teach my kid to have a voice in the school environment? Whether they have a formal IEP or 504 plan, if they live in the United States or accommodations, do they know what those are? Do they vocalize them? Do they make their teachers stick to those things? Or if they don't have a formal accommodation plan, do they advocate for themselves when they need it? Whether it is somebody is being mean to them, or the teacher keeps calling on them randomly and it's upsetting, or they're distracted because the teacher's eating in class. And I actually had that once with a a kid I worked with. You know, the teacher was eating in class and 
they had misophonia and it was, they could not function. They could not be able to handle that class. Well, they had to advocate like, I'm sorry, but it's not lunchtime and I don't need you to be eating your food while you're trying to teach your class. And so that can be an example, like really anything that is overwhelming. There is a difference between advocating and asking for accommodating. And so we kind of want our kids to understand that as well, that anxiety and OCD often want to grow. And some of the ways that it wants to grow is through avoidance. Anxiety wants avoidance. So it would be, I want to avoid having to do all these things that are really hard for me. And OCD wants sometimes it's compulsions to be fed. Sometimes that means avoidance. I don't want to sit next to this person who feels contaminated, or it might be, I need you to complete this loop. And so I need you to say it in this way to me, or I need you to do it in this way, or I need you to allow me to have this compulsion. And so when we're talking about advocacy, there is a difference. We're not necessarily talking about advocating for somebody to allow their anxiety or OCD to grow, but there is this middle space that says, if you're asking me to go to school, if you're asking me to attend school, there are certain things that have to happen because I'm not quite there yet. And so I can't handle this teacher eating in class. It's overwhelming for me. And so, yeah, down the road, I want to learn to be able to tolerate what other people do because I know I can't control other people. But in this moment, it's a bridge too far and I need to advocate for myself. So helping our kids lean into, there is a difference between sitting with discomfort and advocating for your rights. And it can get gray, right? It can get kind of gray because like the, the eating and situation like that eating example, that could be kind of gray. Long-term, we might want her to be able to tolerate that. But if it's impacting her grades and her ability to function, then it's not something she should have to tolerate. Same thing with family, right? Like sometimes my daughter might be singing and my son might want her to stop because it triggers his OCD because he gets songs stuck in his head. But we have learned as a family that that's accommodating and we're not trying to accommodate his OCD at this point. And so people can sing and that's not advocating for his his rights or his mental health, that's accommodating. And so slippery slope a little bit. So I just want to put that out there as we go further down this list. Okay. The next one is extracurriculars. So this is how you advocate for yourself with coaches and tutors and instructors and people that are part of your extracurricular activities, regardless of what that may be. It could be a million other things. If you are you know, not able to eat gluten. It was just a random example. Like my daughter, she will advocate if they're having a snack and she's not able to eat the snack, she's going to raise her hand and be like, I'm gluten-free and I can't eat this. What should I do? Or, you know, should I bring my own stuff uh, moving forward? She will. She's a fierce advocator for herself, more so than anyone else in my family. And she will let the coaches, tutors, instructors know she can't eat something or that's not okay for her. Giving our kids a voice during those times can be really important. The next one is friends. A lot of times we don't think about advocating for ourselves in friendships, but we should because relationships sometimes need advocating. Maybe their friend, whenever they're in a bad mood, takes out on them and says, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. You know, I'm in a bad mood. Don't call me. Don't write me. Don't text me, whatever. And then they're in a good mood and they're like, oh, sorry, I was in a bad mood. Well, maybe they have to advocate for themselves and say, I understand that you have mood swings, but when you do that, it makes me feel this way. And so I would appreciate if you're having a hard time that you do this instead of telling me that you don't want to be my friend anymore. 
learning how to advocate set boundaries is really important with friends. And lastly, we may not think about this, but it's really good for our kids to learn how to advocate for themselves with providers, whether it's doctors or therapists or psychiatrists, to have a voice at the table that says, I'm not going to take that pill because swallowing pills makes me uncomfortable. Is there a liquid form, right? Just teaching them to speak up and be part of the conversation is huge because we don't want our kids to think that there's this world where we talk about them and they are a passive, observant person and not involved in the decisions. So after the break, I want to break down the ingredients for self-advocacy and how do we teach those ingredients so our kids can be successful. Stay tuned. That's what's up next. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers, and um, so that was really nice too to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. <laughs> I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized that it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Well, there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's in nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. I welcome back. So let's go through the ingredients to build self-advocacy. So I broke this down into one, two, three, four, five steps. I like that. That's a nice number. Think about it in these five steps, and these are the five steps that we're going to want to teach our kids, whether you write them out or you just mentally think about them. They're kind of self-explanatory. It's not rocket science, but I think sometimes when we have structure to how we want to teach things, it helps give us kind of a platform to, to jump off from, and so that could be really helpful. So the first thing is, number one, what are my needs? 
A child can't advocate for themselves if they don't know what their needs are. This is about bringing in self-awareness. And I'm going to go through how we do this in a moment, but it's all about bringing in self-awareness of what do you need? What are your needs? What helps your anxiety or OCD? Not, not to grow your anxiety or OCD, but what helps you perform or relax or succeed that you need advocating for? All right, so that's number one. What are my needs? Number two, are they being met? I won't know if my needs are being met if I don't know what my needs are. So getting our kids to understand what they need is key. So number two, are they being met? Are my needs being met? Three, do I need to advocate for my needs? Are they being met? No. Do I need to advocate for my needs? Maybe yes, right? Or maybe not. They're not being met, but it's okay. So what are my needs? Are they being met? Do I need to advocate for my needs? Number four, what needs to be changed? There's nothing worse than going to somebody and trying to advocate and only having half the solution. And I see parents doing this all the time. And I, I get it. We sometimes disempower ourselves and think that the professionals know best. And so often parents will go to the school and they'll, they'll recognize that their child has needs that are not being met, that they need to advocate for, and they don't know what needs to be changed. We have to have the full component. We have to say, my child's needs are not being met, and this is what needs to happen. Because we know our kids the best, and more importantly, our kids know themselves the best. Getting them to not only identify what their needs are, if they're being met, and if they have to advocate for their needs, but what needs to be changed. What will help me in this moment? What will help me in this situation? What needs to be changed? I'm going to come to you with a problem and I'm going to come with you with a solution. And the only thing I'm advocating is for you to listen to the solution. That's the goal. That's the power of self-advocacy is I'm going to highlight the problem. I'm going to highlight the solution. And your job is just to say, okay, solution is approved. (laughs) That's the goal. Because when we're talking about our kids advocating for anxiety or OCD or in general, right? We we don't want to go up to someone and say, I feel like you never hear me. I feel like you ignore me all the time. And then, okay, you're complaining and you're recognizing you need to be heard. You need to be valued. What's your solution? You're not offering a solution. So when we come with that second part and say, I would like for you to put down your iPad when I'm talking to you so I feel valued and important. There's the solution, right? Here's the problem. And this is what I'm asking of you. And so that's an important element to advocate for ourselves. And the final one is learning how to vocalize these changes. And so how do I go about asking for this? How do I confront someone if I feel uncomfortable confronting someone? How do I communicate my needs? Number one, what are my needs? Number two, are they being met? Number three, do I need to advocate for my needs? Number four, what needs to be changed And number five, how do I communicate these changes to this person or this situation? Pretty obvious, right? But when we think about it in those steps, we can break down what we need to teach our kids. And so let's go through them one by one and talk about how we're going to help our kids develop these ingredients. You could write them down so kids can be like, okay, these are the five steps I need to do. Or it can be a little bit more casual. It could be kind of an authentic learning through life that you're teaching your kids. I mean, if I ask my kids, what are five ingredients for self-advocacy? They absolutely would not know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But if I ask my child, if you had a problem and it was upsetting your anxiety or OCD, how would you go about it? They would be able to communicate that. My youngest more so than I think 
even my two older kids. Because I do feel like there's a wiring issue as well, that some people are just naturally more of an advocate for themselves than other people. If your child is more introverted, if they are shyer, if they have social anxiety, if they have moral OCD and they worry about being quote unquote a bad person, that can make self-advocacy a bit harder because if you are an introvert and you're not used to having your voice or you may, you're a sensitive person and you don't like confrontation or you have social anxiety and you're worrying, you're worrying about upsetting somebody else or being embarrassed by vocalizing yourself or your needs in front of other people or worrying that you're going to be a bad person and you don't want to rock the boat because you have moral OCD. These things can make it harder to, to find your voice, but it doesn't mean it's impossible because it means it's even more important to double down and teach these skills. So the first one, number one, what are my needs? We can get our kids to think about these things by first identifying their needs. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to try to give you some concrete examples. My son does not like noisy environments. He gets very overwhelmed every school year. It's getting better as he gets older, but every school year he will complain that he can't focus in class. It's so overwhelming. The kids are so loud. Noises bother him. Ironically, he's a very noisy kid. (laughs) And you might have one like that too. It's like, do as I say, not as I do, right? Have you seen that? It's like our kids might have particular needs, but they don't necessarily follow them. And that's okay. That's human. That's just us all being human. And so, because he's a very noisy kid, (laughs) but he doesn't like other noises. So if my daughter is humming or making noises, he will get irritated, but he makes mouth noises 24-7 and no insight into recognizing, oh, this, this bothers me, so maybe I shouldn't do it either. I think kids don't always have that insight, but I will highlight to him, I'll say, it sounds like, you know, noise in the school environment is upsetting for you. It sounds like it's hard for you to focus when it's noisy. I'm not going to go into how we advocate. I'm going to use, I'm going to try to remember and use this these examples as we go through these different stages or these different ingredients. But when you ask your kids something like, "What will help you in this moment?" you are you are getting them to think about what are their needs. Um, what would make this better? If you have, and this is one of my favorite questions: If you had a magic wand and could change one thing about this, what would it be? That's teaching your kids what are my needs right? I'm, and I'm going to try to use some just really basic ones. My daughter gets very upset when my son is playing VR and he's very loud. And she'll say, I can't relax, mom. I, you know, he's so loud. You can hear him throughout the house. I would say, what do you need? And she'll say, I need quiet. All right. So that's quiet. Let's just do another example. Let's say your child has social anxiety and the teacher just randomly calls on people without them volunteering or raising their hand. And it is creating anticipatory anxiety in someone with social anxiety. And they're on edge the whole time because they're just waiting for that teacher to call on them. And it's so upsetting that they are starting to get a stomachache before going to school. And it's so upsetting that they want to miss the first period. And so they're late all the time so they can just go into the second period because they don't want to go into that class. That's a problem. Now the child's wanting, would rather refuse school than actually participate because this teacher is just randomly calling on people ad hoc. Let's use that as an example. Let's say your child says that that's a problem. I would ask the question of, what do you need to happen? What would make you feel more comfortable in that classroom, right? So what are your needs? Well, I need to have predictability. I need to have a teacher not call on me if I'm not volunteering my hand. That's what I need because then I'll feel better, right? So going into the what are their needs. 
Second category or second ingredient, are their needs being met? You can get your kids to start thinking about these questions. Am I thriving in this moment, in this situation? Are you, are you being able to fully relax when you are at home because your need is to have a quiet space, right? So the answer would be no, I can't relax because I'm hearing him be really loud on VR. <laughs> For my son, are, are your needs being met? Are you able to learn and listen to the teacher when the class is being noisy? No, it's so overwhelming, it's distracting, right? For the child where the teacher is calling on them randomly, are you able to relax and learn in that class? No, I can't because I'm so worried that she's going to call on me that that's all I can focus on. So now we know what the needs are and are they being met? No. And so you want to ask yourself some other questions. Is it reasonable? Is it reasonable that you want a quiet place in the house? Is it reasonable that you want a a quiet classroom? Is it reasonable that you don't want the teacher to call on you? Now, sometimes it will be reasonable and sometimes it won't be. If it's reasonable, do I need to advocate for my needs? What needs need to be changed? And for my daughter, is it reasonable that I want a quiet house? No, that's actually not very reasonable. (laughs) It's not reasonable in our life, in our world, that you're going to have a quiet house. Is it reasonable that you want a quiet class? No, that one's actually not reasonable either because the class is going to be loud sometimes. So we can't expect the class to change. Is it reasonable that you want the teacher to not call on you randomly? I think yes, right? I honestly don't think teachers need to randomly call on kids, and I don't think we need to have kids who have social anxiety deal with that. I think that that you can have, I know for me, with social anxiety growing up, I had some mean, cruel teachers that would purposely call on the child that they knew would be uncomfortable because they felt like the child needed to be included or needed to participate or just for kicks, I think. And so I don't think that that is reasonable that... I think that it is reasonable to ask that that teacher not to call on them. So when they realize what is reasonable and what is not, it kind of leads them to the next category, which is, do I need to advocate for my needs? We want kids to understand that, that they have the power to advocate, that they have the power to try to change the situation, that they're never trapped. If they have a 504 plan or an IEP, which is kind of United States speak, Um, I'm not sure what it's called in Canada, and I'm not sure if it exists in Australia or the UK. But accommodations, formal accommodations that that the school is legally obligated to do. Do your kids know what those are? And so with my daughter, she has a 504 plan. Um, It was created back in, I believe, first grade. She is now in sixth grade, and she has come a long way. But she knows what's in her 504 plan. And over the years, when it hasn't been followed or when she has had to advocate for a need that was in her 504 plan, she would say, you know, this is in my 504 plan. I'm allowed to have a snack. It's in my 504 plan. Or I'm allowed to change my seat. It's in my 504 plan. Or I'm allowed to... Those were like her two main ones, (laughs) to be honest. But she knew what was in her 504 plan. So if your kids have a formal 504 IEP plan, let them know what is in there. And let them know that if a teacher is not following something in their 504 plan or their IEP, it may be that the teacher is just not aware of it. Not all teachers have the time to read all of those. And that's unfortunate, but they're very busy. They have a lot of students. It is up to our kids, unfortunately, to to advocate and be the voice of their plan to say, I do have a 504 plan and it actually is in there. They can't do that if they don't know what's in there. And a lot of times we don't give them the nitty gritty of what's in there. And so I review that periodically with my daughter and let her know what's in there. 
especially if we have a 504 meeting, which are few and far between actually as she's gotten older. But I let her know what's in there. And I, if I have a 504 meeting, I let her be involved in it. And I, I'll say, hey, I have a 504 meeting. They don't really ask for the child to be there in her school, but I'll say I'm meeting with your teachers and the counselor, which we haven't done in a really long time, to be honest. And I want to know if there's anything that you need in there or that you want me to take out. And so involve your kids is really important. Okay. Number four, what needs to be changed? And so even if it's not reasonable that my daughter wants a quiet, quiet house, she might advocate for herself to me. And so she might say, mom, it's so noisy. And I might say, you know, it is, it is very annoying. However, he's allowed to play and this is his time frame to be able to play. And so what can you do in order to fix this problem? And so I might say to her, what are some options? So in this fourth ingredient, it's problem solving. How can I advocate for myself and how can I come up with a solution that will be helpful? For my son, it was, oh, it's so noisy in here. What can I do? And it's like, well, can I bring vibes, which are, they are, I don't, they're not really earplugs because they, they filter out sound. And so he had some vibes for a few years and I said, okay, that's a great idea. Can you put it in your backpack and have that with you? There was a time where he's a drummer and he had this huge percussion set that he had to bring with him back and forth every, like almost every day for band. And everybody else had these smaller instruments and he had this like heavy, heavy pack of percussion instruments that he would have to bring that like barely fit in the back of the car. And he was a small, small kid who is still a small kid. And so we went through this, you know, could he advocate for himself? And eventually he talked to the band teacher and he was able to leave his band equipment at school. Eventually I just bought him two sets. So he has one at school and he has one at home and because it was like literally going to break his back, but coming up with ways to advocate and change with going back to the vibes to communicate that to his teacher so that his teachers are okay with that. That was a component. So could he go to the teacher and say, you know, I'm having a hard time focusing and can I put these vibes in? Or if I have vibes in, is that okay? Right. Learning to advocate for his needs. I need to wear these vibes. I'm not expecting the school, the classroom to change, but I can't focus. I've also had my kids, my daughter especially, has have advocated for sitting in the front. You know, I can't focus and I need to sit in the front. Or I've had my son has advocated where he is sitting at a table where somebody's bullying him or they're distracting him. And instead of swooping in, could he go to the teacher and say, I'm having a hard time in my seat. I'm having a hard time with this. I'm not being able to work. I'm not able to function. Can I sit in this other seat and learning how to find their voice? And that brings me to ingredient number five, which is learning to vocalize those changes. That's the hardest skill for our kids is learning how, how do you communicate your needs? You can role play. I have role played with my kids for all sorts of things. They might have had a peer issue where they're like, oh, my friend is doing this and we'll role play. Okay, well, look, I'll be your friend. And then you just tell me what is bothering you and how you want to see it changed. And we'll go back and forth. So role playing, if they're little, you could do puppet play. So when you have a toddler or preschooler and maybe somebody is taking their toys away at daycare or at um, you know preschool or kindergarten, do puppet play where you're a puppet that is bossy or is 
doing something that your child is learning to get a voice for, you know, and so as that puppet character, you're taking away their toys or you're pushing them around. And what does that puppet say? You know, what does their puppet say? And if they are not able to find their voice, even in that puppet, I always incorporated a third puppet in my play therapy type of approach. And that puppet would be kind of like, it could be a little like superhero who comes in to empower the child, or it could be a formal person like a teacher, but I, I kind of like more of the fantasy stuff. Someone that comes in and is like just an empowering like dinosaur or superstar, and will say, don't let him push you around. Why is he pushing you around? What can you say back? And you can actually guide them and coach them in the puppet play. So a lot of advocacy skills can happen through play and puppet play. So that's, you know, you can use dolls or Barbies or all sorts of things, but creating a situation, whatever the situation is, where they need to find their voice can be really helpful. Another one is like just helping them, you know, if they're older and they're trying to communicate this, I did this with my, two of my kids actually, if they're having to write an email to their teacher, how do they write that? Instead of me swooping in and be like, you want me to contact your teacher? I'll contact your teacher. It might be, can you write an email to your teacher? We had to do this a lot with COVID. Actually, there was something else that happened too recently where it wasn't my daughter's fault. I'm trying to think what happened. It was band related, actually. I think she was getting very overwhelmed because her instrument was broken, but she said that she had talked to her teacher and her teacher said it was fine. And then they had to like record an assessment at home. It had to be like submitted by midnight. Like today is such a weird, these days, you know, it's like assignments have to be like submitted online before midnight. Like that was not my childhood experience. It was like, you're in class and you submit it and that's it. But now there's like these like weird deadlines and it's all online. Anyway, she was very upset because she wasn't going to be able to submit it. Instead of swooping in and just being like, don't worry, I'll call him. We kind of problem solved it first. I mean, it kind of did end with me saying, okay, I can email him. But it was like, well, what can you tell him? You know, I could tell him my instrument's not working. Yeah, right? Because you tried, but you couldn't do it. What else can you do? So instead of moving in and rescuing right away, getting them to even connect the dots, even if inevitably at the end, you wind up advocating for them, you're still teaching them skills. So this isn't about doing it for them or not doing it for them. It's about walking them through the process at whatever level they are. And that that will look different for each each of our kids. And so I had her go through all the scenarios of what she could do. And then at the end, she was still very, very upset and very revved up. And I said, look, I will, I will email him. If he doesn't listen to you, I will email him and say, look, her instrument was broken. I saw that myself. Um, and so that did relax her because she felt like, okay, well, my mom's got my back if he doesn't believe me. And that might be very comforting for kids who are, who are going to advocate for themselves. And then they may not be taken seriously. And that is a possibility. And teaching our kids that that is a possibility. Not everyone's going to listen to you all the time. And that's okay. I'm here to support you. And so that, that could be very helpful. Walking them through it. And then, you know, sometimes it's important to have them participate in meetings. So if there's a 504 and they're allowed to join or an IEP meeting, they're allowed to join. Or they call a meeting. Or you call a meeting and say, I need to talk to this coach. You know, he's got a lot of compulsions or he's got this and, or this one boy's contaminated on the team. And I just need to talk to the coach and explain what's going on and maybe advocate why, you know, he just can't play next to that kid for right now as we work on things. Have your child involved in that so that they can see you advocating, hear the language you're using and participate. That's, that's good modeling. If they're not able to participate in a meeting because they feel overwhelmed or they feel embarrassed or they feel triggered, 
have them make a video or write a letter. And I recommend this a lot so that her voice or his voice is heard in the meeting. And so they're learning to advocate at least through some sort of medium, whether it's writing or video, their voice is heard and they're learning to practice using their voice, representing themselves, which I think is really important. These are baby steps. They take time. They don't happen overnight. I feel like I am constantly teaching my kids to advocate for themselves. And, and it comes in, in slow little pieces. I was talking to my, my 19-year-old daughter the other day, and she was saying how she had to take an extra couple of classes because she changed her major. So she has much more than the average person. or you know, And so she's swamped. And she has one day where it's a 12-hour 12 12-hour day. Can you imagine that? And so she is an art major. And so some of these are like studio classes where they're like six-hour classes. So she is literally in a seat doing art for like 12 hours that day. And she said, mom, I I can't make it to one class on time because it's literally impossible. Like there's, I get, I have to drive to the other class and I can't make it on time. And, you know, I'm all over the place and sometimes, you know, I'm overwhelmed. And I said, I wonder if it would be worth communicating this to your professors. Like they don't know, they probably don't know that you are taking two extra classes because it's a very small college. And so in that major, like most of them are all taking the exact same classes. And so they probably think they know what's on her plate, but actually she's got two extra things on her plate. I suggested that she advocate and let them know, like, hey, I love your class and I'm not being disrespectful by showing up late, but this is what my schedule is. And she's like, oh yeah, that might be a good idea. You know, you plant seeds. I'm not going to call her professors and do that. That would be way overstepping what she needs at this time. Now, sometimes... If your child is even in college and they're incapacitated, they might need you to step in. Like if they are mentally unwell and they're crumbling, you might have to swoop in and go and take them somewhere and advocate for them and get them the right help. But I guess the question we're always asking ourselves is, where is the sweet spot between coaching and doing? That answer will look different depending on where your kid is at. So like for my youngest daughter, most of the time, when it comes to advocating, I don't, she is capable of advocating for herself. She has a very loud, strong voice and personality, and she probably just needs role playing and she might need ideas. My son, who's actually older than her, might have a harder time advocating for himself, and he doesn't want me to advocate for him. So, our skills, we're working on skills of him identifying what can make his life easier because he just always settles. I'll just struggle. It'll just be horrible, you know? So getting him to think, it doesn't have to be horrible. There are always options. Let's think about what those options can be for you. When you're looking at your child, think about where do I need to build their advocacy skills? And it might be all of them. It might be one particular thing. It might be, I just need to role play with them on how to do it. It might even be the very basic one of, they don't even know what their needs are. You need quiet. You need some time to do this. You know, these are the things that I see that help you thrive. You know, when teachers give you written instruction, you tend to thrive. Or when we as a family respect your need for this, you seem to thrive, right? So you might be at the very basic part. And I don't feel like they are all in consecutive order. I think you might have a child that might need a couple of these. And so just think about where you're trying to hone in the skills and grow because that's where you can put your energy at. I think we're all learning to advocate for ourselves on some way, on some level. I know I am, with my own social anxiety over the last few years, have learned to advocate for myself in a much bigger way. 
Sometimes I'm more confrontational than I ever would be because I want to be authentic. And if something is bothering me in a relationship, I want to vocalize that now because I realize that that is self-love. Like, hey, I don't like when this person does this. To be genuine to the relationship and genuine to myself, I'm going to voice this in a loving, compassionate way that this is not okay for me and that I, I need this to happen instead. Finding your voice even as an adult and modeling that for your kids can be huge. Do we let people just walk all over us or do we advocate? Do we advocate for our own needs? Do we think about simple things like, oh, you know what? We're sitting here, but it's really loud and uncomfortable. Can I get the waiter to move us to that other quiet table? That's advocating, right? This is not meeting our needs and there's an opportunity for it to get better. Think out of the box and think in regular daily situations. And then you can make those life lessons where you say to your kids, you don't have to settle. You know, it's always worth an ask. What's the worst thing that can happen is that they tell you no, but you can always ask yourself, you know, can I advocate for this or can I make this better for myself or am I, am I performing in the best way that I can in this situation or is there, can there be some tweaks? And a lot of times the answer is there can be some tweaks. I was quiet in doctor's offices for so long and now I feel like I'm a little overbearing to be honest because I found my voice and now I'm like, well, actually I researched this on Google's <laughs> and this is a, yeah, I'm probably the worst patient now because I, I'm not afraid to have a voice, but there was a time where just going to the doctor made me feel really overwhelmed and I would never vocalize any of my concerns or ask questions because I felt like I didn't have a voice in that office and that is not true. So think, think bigger than just anxiety and OCD because when we learn how to advocate, it will impact us in all areas, in all relationships. So I hope that you found that helpful. I hope that you find my podcast helpful in general. And if you are, don't forget to hit a star on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, wherever you consume this podcast. If you have a few extra minutes and can leave a review, you know I greatly appreciate that. And to show my gratitude, if I have one, I will read one. And I want to thank Kristen for writing one. She wrote, amazing resource. This podcast has been so, so helpful in navigating my eight-year-old's anxiety and my own anxiety too. The concepts are explained clearly, and I love how she breaks them down into simple, actionable steps. I can see the difference it makes in our family and know it'll impact my daughter long-term too. Thank you, Natasha. Well, thank you, Kristen. I appreciate you writing our review. Um, Maybe if you write a review, I'll be reading yours next time. Most likely I will, because that was the last one I have here. So not a list to read. So I hope that you find this helpful. I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 